This message is a recording from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space to practice the ways of Jesus together as the multi-ethnic family of God. Kaleo, it is good to be together. Thanks for being with us. Uh, as a reminder, we're in the, the midst of making our way through a series of quotes from Oscar Romero, who served the Church of El Salvador in the 70s and 80s. And what we're doing is we've been taking excerpts from various homilies that he preached, um, specifically during his time as the Archbishop of El Salvador. Uh, and then what we're doing is we're taking the passage that he preached them from, and we're putting those side by side. And, and Aaron and I, and I guess when Jimmy was here too, are kind of asking the question, all right, God, what do you have to say for oh, the family of Kaleo in light of all of that? Um, which I think probably even at this point now, five weeks in, it would be good to go like, well, hold on, why Oscar Romero? Like, wh where did that come from? For, for some of you, you might not even know who Oscar Romero is or was or any of that. Um, even if you've been with us at all along this journey, you still might be like, I don't know, he's got some good quotes. Like, <laughs> that, that's good too, right? Uh, so you can, go, you can go learn more about Oscar Romero after this if you'd, if you'd like. There is a really good movie slash documentary uh, on YouTube called Romero, and that will give you a really good picture of what uh, his life was like and what he was up to. But Aaron and I, we, we were trying to figure out what we would do in this time leading up to Advent, and we just each kept like bumping into Oscar Romero-related things. And we were like, all right, this is a timely prophetic voice speaking a language that uh, we desire to like let be a guiding light to us. He, he is very adamant about preaching the good news of a Jesus who was anointed by the Spirit to bring that good news to the poor, to the captive, to the sick, to the oppressed, as Luke 4 says it. But there was this other part of Romero's life that drew us to him. And, and it was this conversion, if you will, that he had after he had already been a priest. And then he was named the Archbishop of El Salvador. And they named him the Archbishop of El Salvador because there was a bunch of political unrest at the time. And they thought he would be so middle of the road that he could navigate this balance between the, the oppressive regime of the government at that time and essentially the, the poor and oppressed El Salvadorians. And so as he stepped into that role, something happened to him. The people continued to suffer, and Romero was awakened by Jesus in a way in which he was essentially at a crossroads where he could do nothing but leverage his life and his preaching and his caring for that community in solidarity with the suffering that they were undergoing. And he began to learn that Jesus was always a Jesus who desired to liberate the oppressed, to set the captive free, to bring good news to the poor, to heal the sick. And that's what his ministry became. It's not a great story because what happens is about three years into that, he's shot while giving mass. So he's, he's murdered in the, the midst of siding with the poor of El Salvador. So all of that issues, this wild challenge, but it all happened in this country that probably many of us are like, I don't know a lot about El Salvador. And you probably weren't super familiar with what was going on in the late 70s and early 80s in El Salvador. And then he starts to speak, and we use these quotes to guide our time a little bit. And we're like, is he, is he talking to us right now? 
Was he saying that, which just speaks to the way in which the Spirit of God is one, a a global God, but also there's so much to learn uh, from other cultures, from other places, from other people that impact the way in which we can learn to follow the ways of Jesus here in the heart of downtown Phoenix. So before I get to the Romero quote of the week in our passage in John 1, let me just pray for this time and then we'll, we'll tackle that together. Again, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you are here with us and we invite you to teach us. Have your way with us. Give us eyes to see, hearts to receive, minds to perceive. Invite us into your loving communion to walk and go with you as you desire for us to do in this world. Uh, Challenge us, encourage us, and fill us as always fresh with the love of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Oscar Romero on January 15th, 1978. Try to figure out where you were on that day, right? He speaks these words from the the pulpit of the church he'd been serving in El Salvador. He had been the archbishop for a little less than a year. So his conversion, as I mentioned, was kind of like full speed ahead because now he was in the midst of these people in a more attentive way and he was watching what was happening to them and what they were experiencing. And so here he is, realizing he can no longer shy away from naming the things that need to be named and calling for the changes that need to be brought about. He can't stay comfortable himself. The gospel of Jesus is ushering him into joining a people who are in need of a prophetic voice to speak on their behalf. What he actually circles this community of people in El Salvador to be is a community of persons where all cooperate for the common good. And here's how he stands and proclaims it. He says this. He says, God wants to save us in a people. He does not want to save us in isolation. And so today's church more than ever is accentuating the idea of being a people. The church wants to rouse men and women to the true meaning of being a people. What is a people? A people is a community of persons where all cooperate for the common good. So before he now gets into the specifics of what this mission of these people might look like, I think it's interesting to just pause when he says the church of today, which in his language is 1978 in El Salvador, is trying to figure out how to be a people, how to come together as a group of people working for the common good of a people. What does that even mean? And so if it's true, and I believe it is, that God desires to save us into community, into people, never in isolation, never over there. That's like his whole heart. What is a people then? Or maybe more colloquially in 2022, what, what is the church? What is the church? And I think even when I look around the room and I know where we're all at in all of this navigating too, it's like, that's a question that is at the forefront of many of our minds. Like, how do we be a people? How do we be a church? How do we come together and cooperate for the common good? So what is the church? I encourage you to let your own mind wander on that a little bit, but a couple bullet points that I make are these. The church or a people is a collective of spirit-filled people with unique callings and gifts. 
It's a group of people who are joined together by the Spirit of God to, as Romero says, cooperate for the common good. And in that place, these people share the power, dialogue with one another. They participate together and they follow the guiding love of the Trinitarian God, the way God moves together consistently in love. So therefore, at least on the base level is this, we can't go alone, right? Like if we're trying to figure out how to be a people of God, we know we can't go alone. And this is hard and it's complex. It's even harder and more complex in our ever individualized American society. Right, that's something that's celebrated in this context. We even show up into spaces and we're always evaluating them. Like, what do they offer me? And how, how does this meet my need today? And is, okay, five stars, three stars, right? Like, it's just like consistently in front of us. So then how do you come together and learn to be a people? And I think that's what's especially unique about trying to embrace the realities of being a multi-ethnic family of God. You have to learn that you actually need one another to fully realize the kingdom of God present in the world. Now, that will help us learn to cooperate for the common good. Okay, in light of all of that, I love that Romero started with John 1, 29 through 42. So that's where he was going with all of this. So let me just read a few verses for us as we begin to think about what might be needed for us to be a community cooperating for the common good. Okay, John 1, starting in verse 29. The next day he, which is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me, which honestly is not making a lot of sense. He says, I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason that he might be revealed to Israel. It's interesting then, right? That's the end of verse 31, that John identifies Jesus in a really unique way. First of all, John knows a bit about Jesus already. They're related his cousin. It's not like they're hanging out every day all the time, but they know of each other. And so here comes Jesus toward him. And what does he say of Jesus? This is the one who will take away the sin of the world. And I think for many of us, when we hear sin, we immediately go, okay, what's my individual sin? Like, what do I got to clear up? Right? That's for many of us. That's how we've been taught to understand sin is it's very personal or individual. But John says something really unique in that. He says, take away the sin of the world. He speaks really holistically about sin. Or you could maybe even say systemically about sin. So then he testifies this way, verse 32. Because right, he just saw Jesus and he says, here he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he goes, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove as it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the chosen one. Okay, what's going on here? 
right? First of all, just like aside, right? This is John's account of Jesus's baptism. It's different in the other gospels, the way the other gospel writers sort it out. I love that John also saw the spirit descend like a dove, right? Not as a dove, but like a dove. For some reason, John also saw the spirit fall on Jesus. He didn't hear though, the voice from heaven apparently that Jesus tells us about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Just interesting aside, okay? So now he's making this connection that he's seen something of the powers of above, right? The spiritual power of God descend on Jesus and he's making the connection that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is the one on whom the Spirit has descended and filled when he was baptizing Jesus. It's wild that he saw all this transpire. So here's what I think John is saying when he recounts and testifies about this. He's saying that Jesus has the spiritual power to defeat the sin of the world. Okay, what do we do with that, right? Now that we have this image of Jesus, as the one who holds the power to defeat the sin of the world, right? Which seems so big and broad and I don't need to like even make a list for all of us to go like, yeah, I could think of some ways in which there's some sin in the world. Jesus apparently has the power to defeat that. So what happens next? Well, the next day, verse 35, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God, which as this, again, aside, I guess this is getting kind of funny, right? Like every time Jesus rolls up, John just starts yelling, it's the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. Like I, Jesus was like, all right, you, just, you could just call me Yeshua today and we would be good, right? And he's like, every time he sees, there's like, he can't help himself. Right? He's like, this is the one. This is who I've been telling you all about, right? Like he's, he's excited about it. And the two, two disciples heard him say this. And when they heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And I just want you to get the scenario in your head again, right? Here's, here's John the Baptist being like, here's the Lamb of God. And he's like walking. And his two disciples are like, oh, that guy. And they just like start following him, which is creepy. But they do, right? They're following him. And as they're following him, Jesus turns and sees them following him. And he says to them, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Which is like, obviously you can see the parallels to how we might encounter that in our own life right now. What are you looking for? Here's how they answer. They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come on, that's funny. What are you looking for? They're following him. He's like, what are you looking for? They're like, where are you staying? Uh-huh. He's like, so what does he say? He said to him, come and see. Because Jesus is the Jesus who's always inviting us to go with him and come and see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. Jesus asks, what are you looking for? To me, that's the most inviting question to figure out what it means to be a people who cooperate for the common good. Like, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And then Jesus says, well, come and see where I am. Come and be with me. It 
peers, what they were looking for was a place to be with one who had the spiritual power to take away the sin of the world. And so they're like, all right, well, then we're going to stay there. Like, we're not leaving that place. It turns out that these two, right, are some of the first two disciples that Jesus calls to follow him and change the course of history. But I think it's worth pausing in the middle of all of that and asking ourselves these questions. Like, Jesus is asking you, what are you looking for? Jesus is asking you, will you come and see? Do you want to stay? Do you want to follow me? He's always offering this invitation. But I think it's interesting that it's worded this way. What are you looking for? Because even today, it meets us in this place in which we're always evaluating if this is the thing we want or not. Is this the place we want to be or not? So I just want to pause for a split second in the middle of this message. And I just want you to imagine Jesus walking with you in front of you, whatever it is. And see him turn and look at you and ask you, what are you looking for? Just in the quiet of your own heart, your own spirit, what what comes to mind? What are you looking for? And will you come and see? And will you stay and will we go with Jesus? Let that linger in your head and your heart because here's how Romero then goes on to describe the the mission entrusted to the church as he sees it, which may or may not seem like something we're looking for. It's Romero's words, so you can do with that what you want. Here's what he says. He says, this is the mission entrusted to the church. A hard mission, he says to uproot sins from history, to uproot sins from the political order, to uproot sins from the economy, to uproot sins wherever they are. What a hard task. The church has to meet conflicts amid so much selfishness, so much pride, so much vanity, so many who have enthroned the reign of God or the reign of sin among us. The church, he says, must suffer for speaking the truth, for pointing out sin, for uprooting sin. And then he gives this image. He says, no one wants to have a sore spot touched. And therefore, a society with so many sores twitches when someone has the courage to touch it and say, you have to treat that. You have to get rid of that. Believe in Christ. Be converted. A powerful thing to say for the mission of the church. And remember the way in which he says, believe in Christ or be converted is to say to all, come and follow together as a people cooperating for the common good. This mission that Romero lays out, it cannot be fulfilled alone. Can't be fulfilled alone as people like we can't do it by ourselves type of thing. It cannot be done alone as in by our own power. It requires also the power of the spirit of Jesus, the one who has the power to take away the sin of the world. This is why the church is called the body of Christ. We are the embodied presence of Jesus in the world who join him in that very thing, which is where Romero's coming from. 
And it's why we join him if we so desire. What are we looking for? Well, maybe we're looking for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This one who desires to uproot what is going against this loving shalom, this kingdom mindset, right? That says there's enough for everyone. We're equal to one another. How do we do that without the spiritual power of Jesus? Because we've been trying for a long, long time in the world. And Jesus is unique because he came, as he said, to defeat sin and death. And then he did. And now we get to choose to walk in the spirit of Jesus, joining him and uprooting all the things that separate the world from his loving ways. Sure, sin is still individual and personal, but it's also a systemic infection. It seeps through all the things our world has going on. And where things are not God's intended loving way, will we follow Christ in bringing about the way of that kingdom? Will we call for repentance where repentance needs to be called for? Will we practice the gift of repentance when that's required of us? As well, will we continue to strive to become a quote unquote community cooperating for the common good? The beauty and the challenge of all of this, and I think this is what Romero faced as well, is that each one of us is gifted by God in very unique ways to act on behalf of a people in cooperating for the common good. Like, that's what's wild. This is not a large room, right? There are not tons of people in this room. But there are individuals, every single one of us, uniquely gifted to move from a people to cooperate for the common good. That's hard work, though. Because we could list all of the things that are not the way they should be. And we could go, oh, look at all of this. And never move towards them. Never be a community who seeks to engage them, to uproot them. And so we get to ask, based on who makes up the community, where we're going and what we're called to and how we get there. And one of my favorite things about being a smaller community is that, like, tell us what it is. Like, what, what is it that you're, like, after, right? And then we'll go, okay, great. There might be more people who are after that. Or there might just be a community that lets you go and be that, that pushes you into that space, that invites you back to heal, moves you around and around, challenges you, encourages you, shares a meal with you. And I guess this is the heart of what Romero's after, is how does a community of people convert to this God in a way in which they can cooperate together to bring about the common good? And it's why it's a hard mission. And I think it's why it's hard for all of us to figure out what does it mean to follow this Jesus in this world? And so the mission, should we choose to accept it, I guess, is to discern how we will cooperate for the common good. And so listen again now, this mission that Romero lays out. This is the mission, he says, entrusted to the church, a hard mission to uproot sins from history, to uproot sins from the political order, to uproot sins from the economy, to uproot sins wherever they are. What a hard task. 
The church has to meet conflicts amid so much selfishness, so much pride, so much vanity, so many who have enthroned the reign of sin among us. The church must suffer for speaking the truth, for pointing out sin, for uprooting sin. Jesus knows this. Romero knows this. No one wants to have a sore spot touched and therefore a society with so many sores twitches when someone has the courage to touch it and say, you have to treat that. You have to get rid of that. Believe in Christ. Be converted. That's the mission. And so what I want to do is I just want to give Jesus the final word on all of that for you. I want to create some space, if you will, for you to listen, however listening looks like for you. Uh, for much of the life of Kalea, we've done a unique way of having communion together, of receiving communion. It's a meal. And in the post-COVID world and our hot summers, we're still trying to implement that rhythm back. Uh, today was even thwarted because they're reseeding the grass in the courtyard. And so there's like, again and again, these like spaces of like, ah, oh, how do we make that happen? How do we create space to encounter Jesus at the table? And so while, while we continue to establish those rhythms for that practice of eating the meal together again, uh, we wanted to create some space to just receive the, the icon of the table, if you will, in the elements of the bread and the wine. Uh, the bread and the wine tangibly remind us to remember Jesus is the one who gave his body and shed his blood as the ultimate act of sacrificial love. And I think this has something to say about creating the space for Jesus to have the last word because through his death on the cross and his resurrection, Jesus created space to be reconciled with God and with one another. Communion is like the ultimate embodiment of what it means to be saved into a people, if you will. Right, for many of us too, again, maybe the element portion of communion feels very individualized. But that's why the table and the shared meal is so important to us because it's a communal practice. It's not just an act of an individual choice to say, Jesus, yes, I remember you. You are the one who shed your blood, who gave your body. We have to say it to one another. We're also being reconciled to one another because that's the way of Jesus. And so in giving Jesus the last word, I swear I'm getting there. The invitation is to be, to be free to, to be still, to pray, to repent, to ask for eyes to see, to think about what it is you're looking for, whatever it might be. And what I'll do is I'll pray our Eucharist invitation to the table of the Lord. And then whenever you feel so inclined, you can make your way up to this tiny little table with the tiny little elements you can break off a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine. You can eat it here. You can take it back to your seat. I suppose you can go to the altar. Like I have all kinds of stuff. You can go wherever you want uh, with the, the bread and the wine. And however you want to do that, uh, Donald and Tino will come up in a little bit too. And then we'll just sing it out and finish our time. So here's the, the invitation, the prayer. The table of bread and wine is now ready. It's the table where Jesus is the host and we are his company. It is the table we share with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come to the table, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, come. Because it is Jesus who invites you 
And it is his will that those who want him should meet him here. If this message encouraged you, let us know or share it with someone you know. For more information about Kaleo, visit kaleophx.com or follow us on social media at kaleophx.com.